In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. You have indeed found No Proscenium, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, and welcome to episode 379. This week on the show, yet another doubleheader, only this time we're staying on the VR side of things with a check-in with ILM XLab and then with the organizers of the XR Live Performance Festival. First, from ILM XLab, we talk with director Jose Perez III and CG and lighting lead Ronman Ng about the PlayStation VR 2 launch title Star Wars Tales from the Galaxy's Edge Enhanced Edition. This is what it says on the tin, an enhanced edition of the game we already love, and we get into just what is going on in the new edition, what the PSVR 2's haptics are opening up for designers, and the state of VR on this eve of the launch of the highly anticipated peripheral for the wildly successful PlayStation 5. Then, Braden Roy and Brian Tull of the Ferryman Collective are here to talk about something at the other end of the VR spectrum, the XR Live Performance Exhibition now underway, which is putting the spotlight on one of VR's all-too-secret joys, live interactive theatrical performances staged inside virtual worlds. The exhibition has a whole bunch of them, and they're going to break down just what's in it, and we're going to get in uh, into sort of the origin story of the exhibition and the XR Live community. Meanwhile, on the site this week, you'll find the review rundown with seven reviews, a standalone review of the installation art piece, Now Is Where We Are, The Stars, and more updates to this month's call sheet, our ongoing roundup of professional opportunities in the immersive fields. To add an opportunity, please email us at callsheet at noproscenium.com. Please include a link to the opportunity on your site or a job site when possible. Link in the show notes for all of that. And now, an update on the Patreon campaign. Let's start with our latest backers, Nick Rowland, Lindsay Mathis, and Molly Coyne. Thank you all for keeping us going. We're up to 405 patrons now. A new record. Yet right now, we need to get to get another $270 worth of new pledges or sponsorship by March 15th, or we're putting the newsletter behind the Patreon paywall. As little as $2 a month at patreon.com slash guarantees your access to the newsletter no matter what, and it helps push back the lowering of the dreaded paywall for all. If you're already a backer, drop a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. You'd be surprised how much that matters. And share the articles you find useful on your social media platform of choice. The call sheet, always a good option there. It really does help. It is ridiculous how much sharing helps. But I see the numbers. Every single one of you who shares makes a huge difference. You really, really do. We are always no proscenium on social media, except on Insta, where we are no underscore proscenium. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mustry, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davidson, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, Tom Leonetti McGuire, Wynn Thorne, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, the Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. You keep me housed. 
We're also on the lookout for community partners who are up for working out special deals for our Patreon backers. Hit me up at noah at noprisinium.com for details. And now, without further ado, this week's episode. Those who've listened to the show before know that uh, we love ourselves some ILM X-Lab and what they make. And what's very exciting is that the PS2 VR, wait, no, the PSVR 2, <laughs> the PS5's PSVR 2, whoo, that, that adds up to seven PSs, uh, is, is coming out. And one of the launch titles is going to be Star Wars Tales from the Galaxy's Edge Enhanced Edition. Joining us today are Jose Perez III, the director of the game. Hello, Jose. Hello, nice to be here. And Ron Manning, uh, who's also part of the team. Hey there, Noah. Hey. Um, so for those few listeners who maybe were just ignoring until the PlayStation version of this came out uh, and, and somehow like closed their eyes and ears and refused to listen to us talk about it before now, uh, could, could one of you guys tell us just what is Star Wars Tales from the Galaxy's Edge? Enhanced Edition. <laughs> sure. So Star Wars Tales from a Galaxy's Edge Enhanced Edition is a virtual reality experience on PlayStation VR 2 that expands the story of Galaxy's Edge uh, in the Star Wars universe. And so what we've done is we have this really fantastic story of a droid repair person who is going up against uh, great forces of evil and um, gets wrapped up uh, in kind of a found family along the way. So it's a really fun virtual reality experience where you get to have blaster bolts and lightsabers and meet Yoda and hang out with all kinds of fun characters from the theme parks and iconic characters from the films. This one's coming out, as we mentioned, and I'm going to say one more time, for the PlayStation Virtual Reality PSVR 2, uh, which is Sony's new piece of kit. What's changed from the previous versions, which have, have been out before? You want to talk about that, Roman? Oh, sure. Yeah, I think, you know, the Enhanced Edition really talks about how we've taken advantage of what the PS5 can, what visual fidelity the PS5 can deliver on this VR2 headset. And so we've looked into revisiting environments, techniques for lighting, like dynamic lighting, atmospherics, visual effects, even the sound mixing. Like there's just, we basically looked at the potential for this new hardware and just try to max out our dreams of what we wanted to do in the first place. So I think it was really a collaborative effort of like brainstorming, like what are the, you know, what are the things that will give us the, the greatest bang for our buck in terms of what this hardware can do for us? How intense is that process of, of, of taking a game you've built for one platform and then having basically a, a remaster just a couple of years later. Like we see a lot of remastering happen in the games industry. Sometimes it's it can be total reimaginings, like what just came out with Dead Space. Other times it's just like, let's let's crank up to more Ks with, you know, like The Last of Us. But but this is a relatively fast turnaround from from sort of almost one generation of hardware it feels like to another. Or is that is that pushing it too far? Is it is it not that big of a 
It's a big, it's big. It was a big oh, undertaking. Okay. Uh, for sure. It was not, it wasn't like, ah, cool. And we're done. Uh, but, but I think, I think the beauty of the way that we create our assets and stuff here at ILMX lab and industrial light and magic is we actually make the assets really high res first. And then we kind of, you know, bring them down to make sure that they're performant and run properly on, you know, these different pieces of hardware. So there was a lot of high res assets that already existed that they could take and then, you know, go from there. So that gave us a, a, a pretty good jumpstart and we are the team that made it it's not like we handed it off and had a bunch of other people you know do all that. it was really a, a very internal um, project to, to get this done so that i think is why people like ronman and then were able to go through and, and do that turnaround is because they were they knew the project inside now you know they've been working on it for a couple of years at that point and so it was really a, a passion of like hey that thing that looked so awesome but we couldn't do it because we had to get it performant before we can take it to where it was and actually we can take it plus and then ronman literally was like and what if we like turned on all the lights you know now now shadows are working and when cecil's light comes through into the cantina you can see he's self-shadowed and you can see him walk through that dust and it's gorgeous you know it's so beautiful every time a blaster bolt shoots down like a first order hallway it goes and lights up you know stuff like that is like where you start to 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 realize how much more immersive this is and so um to make it a short answer because that was a really long answer uh it's really difficult but we have the team that made the first one and it was them going in and uh turning stuff on and and putting in some extra work on things that they already wanted to make yeah, like Jose said, it really, really was the the work is really imagination work, right? It's like what we wanted to do in the first place. And in many re respects, looking at the potential that this had in terms of device, it was we I think because Batu is a planet that we haven't all seen before and coming off of the parks with Galaxy's Edge, it really we it allowed us to sort of build out that extension of the world. And I think the the complexity of the vistas was something that we're really proud of because we really wanted to see how we could um, open up people's imagination by being in a VR space. How does it qualitatively feel? compared to for for you guys to to be in the new version compared to what had come before jose you were just talking about a blaster bolt coming down a first order hallway and lighting up like mm -hmm. uh, on the one hand that's you know someone could dismiss it oh that's an interesting detail mm -hmm. but but I, I know from from being in you know immersive spaces that the more little details are there mm -hmm. sort of the, the more you kind of ground into it what's it yes. like for you guys I mean, yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the more real you can make it when you're in there, the more interesting it is. And that's about paying attention to all of these little details. And so it might not sound like a lot to hear that there's a little a light on that blaster bolt. When you see it go down the hallway and every stormtrooper gets a little reflection as it goes by and it misses you. And instead of just hearing something hit, you see, a, you know, they see the light zip by you and you see a flash hit over there. There's just a, a another level of I'm here that happens that I think adds to the excitement. And then the haptics and what the design team was able to do with that and the audio team, it's a lot of audio integrated into that. I think there's this different level of immersion that I've never had where, and it sounds like a, it's another thing where you're like, really? That's like the big thing? It's the, there's haptics in the headset, right? So you'll have a blaster bolt fly by and you'll feel it. It's like, you feel it like whiz by your ear. It's like, oh, geez. You know, so you start, you start getting these like really visceral reactions to what's going on and, you know, utilizing these really amazing haptics through audio and the lighting and just that different level of fidelity. It just, I, I already think we did a really good job 
completing that story now that it's all combined and you have the the graphic level you know stepped up and everything it just makes it just that much more immersive and that much more like i feel like it's closer to what you know we we never you never get it exactly what you want you know and so it's always like oh man we were so close and it's like oh we're a lot closer now you know and so you know for me the ultimate goal is i don't know i'm wearing some kind of weird skin suit or something probably (laughs) strange i don't know but um but that level of immersion really is a, a, a significant step greater yeah, we also we also jumped up in terms of, you know, the the next sort of engine version, which gave us, of course, more performant tools, um, better features um, with. And so I think it's it's those things. And for from a lighting visual point of view, for me, it's like shadows, atmospherics, things that um, I think when you know, when you move into a cone of light, you see you feel your shadow, you see dust particulates. It's all those little things for me that Im- improve the immersion. Improves the immersion. And I got to imagine enhances some of the storytelling, because even though the audience, well, the, the player is controlling the camera, the, so much of working in one of these spaces is about sort of framing shots with where where those vistas are or how characters are entering into the space. Yeah. And, and maybe you could talk a little bit about that, about what the new lighting tools give you in terms of another layer of storytelling. Well, you know, I think from the what the light does is it 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 becomes a compositional element you know as mm. it crafts shadows as it cra- crafts you know god rays um and and sort of opens up that space for you so that it really sort of feels more immersive i think we definitely have more just dynamic elements that definitely come into play that really sort of uh, feel believable Jose, you mentioned the the haptics, uh, particularly the haptics mixed with the audio. And I just mm-hmm. for a for a hot second, I wondered if you could touch on what does it take to fine tune those elements? Because this is, in some ways, even though you know haptics have been around for a very long time, and there's haptics in the controllers, and there's all sorts of mm-hmm. sort of touch points that we have. I also feel like the art of creating yeah. haptic information for for the for the player is is relatively new particularly as you open up new places to put those haptics yeah and it's like uh you know just the the advance in haptics over the past couple of years in general is really interesting it used to be you just shake the controller right now what we can do rumble packs yeah rumble pack 19 yeah n64 right like what we're what we're talking about now is you have points that have an attenuation around them so like a sphere Right. And so as those points move through space, depending on how close you are to the center of that sphere or far away, you could have the not only the audio change, but the haptics can change with that. So things like that, like attenuation, um, being able to take multiple strings of uh, uh, audio emitters and have them fire at different times to open that up in in a way that moves through a controller. Like these things add a completely different level of immersion. So if I'm facing this way and a blaster bolt goes by my head here, I don't have to flash a, a indicator if we don't want to. I literally, again, I can I can feel it and I can tell like, oh, that one was really far away or that one was closer. And we did that a lot in Vader Mortal with, um, not with the haptics, but uh, with audio already with 3D audio, right? It's really taking that and then saying, what if we could add a subtle 
artistic vibration to that and how much of that do you take what how much of that volume do you use one of our our designers here uh, uh, jacob went through and really just redid all of the haptics for for the entire game um based on this and and focused a lot on the different you know weapons and equipment and stuff and i think when you get in there it's it's extremely noticeable. It's it's not like, oh, you know, yeah, they did like some haptic things. Like, whoa, I can like feel the inner workings of this all kit tool. Or, you know, when I'm firing a specific blaster, like I feel the tension of this happen. And, and so it's just a, um, it's a, it's a different experience and the tools that we have and, and now the technology that's getting there, it just continues to get better. So are you telling me a DL44 is going to feel different from an E11? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> For sure. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Uh, I think we have people. a DL99 in our game, for the record, if you want me to know. Oh, the DL99. Okay. Slightly advanced above the okay. 44. So, okay. yeah. well, I, I'm a 44 man myself, but uh, I mean, you, know, you trust yeah. what works. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's for four people who listen. So, <laughs> <I'm there>. uh, <laughs> one, last, one last thing uh, before I got to let you guys go. Um, do, do you think this is kind of a, a beyond the game, kind of looking at the market uh, and, and where things are? Do you think the new kit coming out this year is going to change the dynamics of the, of the market? Because like, there's there is a lot of anxiety around where VR at where VR is at at the moment. I think there's also a lot of a lot of you know nervous anticipation about what having the PSVR two could do. What are you guys' feelings at the moment? I mean, I think content is always going to be king. And right now PSVR 2 is coming out with a lot of really killer content. Hopefully people show up to play it and and they love it and they they get more of it. You know, I think it's all the future's always cloudy. <laughs> but uh, always in motion, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um uh, I'm horrible. But you know, I mean, for us it's just been a blast to work with this technology and to push things forward and to to realize our vision at a at a greater fidelity. And so um, you know, I hope people jump in and play and have a good time. And I, I think, you know, it's sort of, it's nascent in that it's, you know, it's under a decade old. And so I think a lot of it is we learn by doing. And so in many ways, even as developers, you know, as more tools open up, so does our imagination. I think it really sort of will grow on itself and we will learn that language. But it only happens by doing. So I'm really excited that we have these opportunities to try new hardware and to sort of see like, okay, what what part of this is really singing um, this time? And then to sort of nudge it forward. It is a, it's not the, 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 the quickly expanding market we all hoped and dreamed it was, but then it also gives us the time to explore and learn. So this is definitely a growing time for us. Well, I'm glad to hear that the learning is continuing that that the refinement of it all uh, continues down the road and 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 that more people are going to get a chance to catch the work that y'all have done because you know it's not just the star wars fanboy in me uh, that gets excited about what you do it's the person who loves this art form as an art form because y'all take it so seriously and you you don't look at a tool and just go eh you 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 push it and see where it can go and always in the service of folding people into the worlds you make so thanks totally. for thanks for thanks for taking the time with us and no write that down and we're going to put that on our website man i think that was, that was perfect that good was... all right well, like uh, zoom transcribes things so we'll be okay <laughs> all right thank Let's you Noah. thank you both so much thank you so thank much. you Let's see you
Something interesting popped up in the inbox a couple of weeks ago, and that was an email from the XR Live community. Uh, if you don't know what that is, we'll get into that in, in a little bit. I mean, that's what the segment's about, right? Uh, but it was for the XR Live performance exhibition because the community over there on XR Live, which has a Discord, which I've you know popped into at times, uh, they're they're putting on, they've gathered up their members and they're putting on an exposition uh, throughout the month of February in through and throughout the month of March, showing off these XR live performance pieces. Uh, you might know some of them like uh, you know, Alien Rescue or the work of the Ferryman Collective. Joining us today to talk about the exposition and about the community as a whole are co-founders of the XR live community. That would be Brayden Roy. Hello, Brayden. Hello. Hey. And Brian Tull. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, that went better than if I had actually tried to write it. So, guys, uh, Braden, you're executive producer on the exhibition. So I wonder if, in a nutshell, uh, you could tell us what this XR Live uh, performance ex- exhibition is. It's really a, a group of people who have been making these various experiences over the years have all had a variety of exposure and have had varying levels of degrees of success in getting the message across that this content exists, that it's accessible. Um, But the hope with this is by bringing all of these disparate creators and productions together under one roof, under one uh, two month long event, that we can reach a sort of critical mass and kind of help raise the tide for all ships and let the larger community know Hey, we exist. Um, there's tons of different festivals and exhibits and um, whatever name you want to ascribe to a specific event, which are fantastic, which feature live performance, which feature XR, which feature live performance and XR. But there's not to date been one that's dedicated to these sorts of experiences exclusively. There's been some things uh, like Onboard XR, which come very close and are fantastic or performance and XR, which is more of a conference, which is also fabulous. But we wanted to bring all these together so that we don't have, uh, you know, pre-recorded 360 degree video XR experiences up against more traditional gaming experiences up against, um, you know, what we're doing. And by bringing them all together, that's the hope. Exposure, understanding, mind share, and really just planting the flag and saying, we're here to stay, come check us out. So who would you say the intended audience for this is? Because, you know, the film festival audience, that's film festival goers, that's folks who, you know, put a lot of time and resources into seeking this kind of workout. Um, Something like Performance XR, that's clearly, uh, you know, aimed at folks who are making. Who's your sort of ideal attendee? And, and, And this is going on for uh, quite a number of weeks. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually curious for starters, like how many slots across all the different experiences and, and we'll get into what experiences are available, but you like how, how wide of a net are you casting here? Honestly, um, fairly broad. The main thing is that um, 
from our estimates, we're reaching approximately 0.001% of the approximately 70 million people who are actively using and actively have access to um, uh, MR, VR, XR equipment in order to attend this stuff. So the hope is that we are casting a net that's possibly irresponsibly broad, just with the hope on bringing in people who weren't aware. So that's, you know, people in the immersive. I, would say, I love, I love the term irresponsibly broad. Like, like what, what have you yeah. done? <laughs> what have you done? For you? <laughs> that's what I wake up every morning thinking to myself, but no, um, yeah, people from, from all of these different disparate communities, which have overlaps, but perhaps there's different individuals within them, which just simply weren't aware that this was something that both existed and was something that was accessible to them at home, regardless of, you know, location. So to go back to to part of that question, about how many tickets across all the experiences are going to be made available to folks? Even like a ballpark, like a ballpark number. Mm, I I would say probably couple hundred at least and there's going to be um each of the experiences for the most part will be adding additional showings as tickets sell and as additional experiences which are not yet announced are added so that will continue to increase as the the weeks go by but yeah i would say ballpark number 200 ish right now so so not so not like you know voluminous but maybe a bit bigger than than what's been available so far and and sort of what communities you know i i took the irresponsible line to being that you might be like running around to a few different communities that you know you haven't been reaching out to so far right um i mean mainly you have all of these different people who have access to this hardware who maybe only have it for um they got it for beat saber or maybe they require it for um, work for the various um, companies that are using XR devices for um, enterprise uses. Or maybe their kid has uh, Oculus Quest 2 that they picked up for Christmas or something. And it turns out that they're actually an avid fan of immersive theater or what have you. And the hope is to bring them into the fold, to bring people who are not already within our circle. Because... Like I said before, we're reaching just a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the people who have ready access to this sort of thing that just simply aren't aware of it. Now, hopefully that doesn't bring in, you know, the hordes of 12 year olds that are currently lurking in the corners of VR chat waiting to test out the latest uh, slew of swear words and slurs. But, uh, but they don't they don't have we'll Echo see. VR to play in anymore. What, what else are you supposed I to guess. do? Like, right. like, you know. A headset's go better somewhere. than a babysitter. You just pay it. You buy a headset once, mm-hmm. and you stick the kid in it. Put him in a corner. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I doesn't seem to the, be what's happening at the time. Move for it, Brian. I, I think one of the, the important things about this exhibition is that it, it just shows that you can't put the theater medium into a box. Because I think what we're doing mm-hmm. with VR theater and with, with just VR live performance it even extends outside of what you would see in the traditional theater world. Because I think everything could, well, not everything, but many, many things could benefit from a theatrical aspect. Uh, Things like education, Mm. being able to bring people into uh, a frame of reference or bring people to understand an issue. Like, well, we'll get into the shows, but like, I think you should have stayed home. 
that's more of an educational type of project where they're trying to create empathy and to create an understanding of a certain situation and more experimental or more musical based type of things like like what we have with discordance where it's more of a sort of ballet type of, of experience and even the things like uh, like uh concerts that sort of thing um bringing live performance and theatricality into vr is something that ex expands far outside the reaches of what is considered traditional theater in a little bit i want to get into the 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 origin story of the community that you've built and sort of a, how you got to this point and getting everyone on board to do this. But let's stay on the exhibition for a moment. What are some of the experiences or what are all the experiences that you have out there? Uh, you might even start off with, you know, what the, the Ferryman Collective, uh, of which you are both, you know, leaders of, uh, key members of, uh, what they've got going on. Sure. So uh, for the Ferryman Collective specifically, we have Gumball Dreams, which is a um, very intimate experience where you as an audience member are brought in as a um, as yourself being essentially transported to this world to have this these conversations with this ancient alien um, who is progressing to the next state of existence and wanted to share that moment with a select few um, which is, it's very intimate, very psychedelic, um, covering topics like love, life, death, and all of the, the deeper things that we think about. Then we have the severance theory, welcome to respite, which is, um, similarly a very intimate piece where you are a person named Alex, who is the head of a personality system, uh, who has dissociative identity disorder, and you are remembering a memory from your childhood when you first started exhibiting symptoms returning home from your aunt's house and kind of realizing that something's wrong for the first time or your parents are alongside you realizing that something's wrong and the aim of that piece is to make sure that people kind of understand the experience that people with that disorder go through and that's adapted from coact productions irl um experience which took place in 2019. Then we have Murder Ballads, The Calamity at Widow's Rock, which is our first try at bringing a dark ride into the medium with live performances where the audience are passengers essentially taking a tour of this cursed mining town, uh, Widow's Rock, where a calamity of sorts happened, which caused all of the inhabitants to lose their inhibitions and kind of go wild and go off on each other for any number of reasons. And that's made up of a series of vignettes of sorts, some of which are more passive, some of which are highly interactive, which over time we will um, swap out different vignettes, probably not during the exhibition itself, but that's the plan going forward. Then you have um, the non- Ferryman Collective Experiences. We've got the Meta Movies Alien Rescue, which is um, super interactive, um, almost live gaming experience. How I uh, view it is almost like the side missions on Mass Effect, if you happen to be someone who played one of those, except for with all the NPCs played by live actors in real time, where up to four people 
um, can play the main hero role and then additional people can join in in a more of a spectator role which also is highly interactive in its own way called oh, they're, bots they're up to they're up to four I made it a four player yes experience. indeed oh wow that they is, are that is indeed. I, they've been pushing the envelope yeah because like when I played it it was you know a, a solo hero and then you had iBots but four and, and four makes that makes a lot of sense like even with you know a limited number of, of NPC actors, you know, you can, you could mod that thing. It, it also has a feel mm-hmm. and probably with players even more so now of like a really great tabletop game module. Um, oh, yeah. that's been translated into, into, you know, a fully functioning, uh, you know, VR dungeon crawl. So good, good on them for expanding the, the number of players at a time. Absolutely. I, and likewise, I've only tried out uh, back when they had the solo hero. Um, I'm hoping to get in um, without stealing all of the tickets away from prospective audience members, but to try <laughs> out to see what the new mix is. But yeah, that's very compelling. I highly recommend it. That one's PC VR only. Oh, I should backtrack all of the Gumball Dreams and uh, Welcome to Respite. All of Ferryman Collective's work is uh, compatible with PC VR and also uh, MetaQuest 2. Alien Rescue is PC VR only for the hero role. For the iBot role, um, you can come in on desktop PC. Then up, we have um, Unwired Danced Theaters Discordance, which is a um, co-location um, kind of collaborative dance experience in which one of the dancers is located in London and another is located in um New York City, I believe, and they both are kind of collaborating together while the audience is kind of in the mix and uh, flowing through this sort of um, synthesis-esque experience, which combines dance and uh, music together. Um, That is compatible with anything that has a web browser, because that is, uh, um, comes from onboard XR. It's It's forked off of that, so if you have a browser on your phone, you can attend it. If you have a browser on your computer, if you you know, if you want to come in and headset, you obviously can do it that way as well. Um, then up we have onboard XR presents non-player character, which comes from Brendan A. Bradley, and that is a um, live interactive musical in which a NPC in a video game is left behind after the hero of the story dies and runs out of lives and kind of going through the existential crisis of figuring out who he is and what he is and going on a journey of his own alongside the audience. That coming from Onboard XR, as you would guess, is likewise accessible um, through a variety of different devices so long as they have a browser. Um, for the sake of the exhibition itself, these are technically rehearsals um, leading up to a live performance in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, I believe, at the end of March, which will be a hybrid event, which will have um, Brendan on stage with a big screen behind him projecting what's going on while there's also audience members there on site wearing headsets. And then also, I believe there will be people um, able to join from home on that, though the details are still TBA um, for that particular aspect. But for all of the showings leading up to that, it's uh, you can join join from anywhere, join from home, and those are free. Um, then we have Raptor 
XR's off rail, which is staged in VR chat and similar to Ferryman Collective stuff, is accessible to both PC VR and MetaQuest 2. And that is sort of a comedic take on um, kind of a Westworld vibe um, where it takes into account the many things that can go wrong in these VR experiences, as anyone who's participated in one knows. Um, expect the unexpected, but they put that into the narrative itself. Uh, it's highly interactive with a handful of actors at any given showing um, with multiple endings, and I believe multiple endings, and uh, at least one track that uh, a lucky audience member can find themselves on, which is different from what the rest of the audience is experiencing throughout the show. That's a lot of fun and has a lot of uh, our friends have been involved in that. Mandy Canales and uh, Ari Tarr and uh, Dasha Kittredge, among others. Then we have um, Scarecrow VRC from Sigmu Lee uh, and um, the Korean National University of the Arts, which is a... Um, pretty poetic piece. I've unfortunately not been able to experience it myself to date, which is makes it one of the things I'm most excited about. I had a chance to do it at Sundance uh, a number of years ago when it was, I think maybe even, I guess that would have been 2020. Yeah. That was the last time I was there. Uh, <laughs> the last thing I did before lockdown in some ways. And that one was really uh we had a live actor in the space uh, mm -hmm. in that version of it, but they did convert it into an online only one in a large part because of the pandemic. Right. And, yes. and it's a, it's a, it's a really beautiful piece. Um, and there's, there's something kind of extra special to having the live actor in the room, but because the vast majority of it was being, you know, translated through VR, uh, you know, the the live actor was in some ways an enhancement, like being being physically present with them was wouldn't break the experience if you weren't with them. Uh, and so I'm really glad that a lot more people have had a chance to to experience this really sweet and like you said, poetic story um, without having to, you know, go to a big festival. And And it's really great that you guys have it in this exhibition. Yeah, I saw the the uh, remote VR um, chat version, and I would say it, it does translate really well to not having the person there because they all have full body tracking, and they're all they've all been trained to be very very expressive with their emotions. So the the character and the energy of the performer really translates through the screen. Yes, yeah, I'm I'm super excited to have that one there. Um, despite being Korean, I believe it's fully language free, just body language, which I love. I love the fact that that just opens up accessibility to so many people. Um, for now, that is PC VR only. However, I believe in the future they plan on making a version of it that is compatible with Quest 2. Um, and next up on the docket, we have Sandglass Travels Sunset Cruise Tours. Um, this is from Rebecca Evans, which is a um, constant collaborator and um, just an overall lovely person who started creating this experience in alt space VR as part of the fifth wall forum a couple years ago and has gone through various iterations. But now for those of you who have not heard, uh, Microsoft is shuttering alt space VR um, March 10th, I believe. So now it's 
transformed into a series of tours, narrative tours that Rebecca is taking people through, through these various worlds as um, the world itself in a very real way that they're exploring is coming to an end. So it's a, a tour of the end of the world, essentially. And those actually just wrapped up for now. I believe there's a possibility that Rebecca will create some more in the coming weeks, but those have not yet been announced. But for any of those at home who have attended those, thank you very much. And thank you, Rebecca, for doing that. Um, Altspace VR is compatible with everything, basically. Um, Mac compatibility is experimental, but if you have a Quest one or two, or even Oculus Go, I believe, if they still support that. Um, it all works. You can get in there. And from um, what I've heard from Rebecca, the, the platform itself is just falling apart right now. Just things are randomly popping up and oh, yes. floors are disappearing. So it's really like the experience of watching a platform fall apart in real time. So It, it, it reminds me, of, I was not part of this community at the time that it happened. I just read about it after the fact, but uh, The Matrix Online was an MMORPG in the early aughts, which um, was fully canon with The Matrix to at that point, at least. And when it came time for it to shut down, they integrated that into the experience where it was a digital apocalypse. And as the servers were going down, they had different events going off. And um, I don't think all space is planning that, but Rebecca Evans is. So keep an eye on that and her work going forward. Um, then we have Nanotopia's Symbiont Mycelliomes, which um, Nanotopia, you might be aware of her previous work, Mycelia, which was a VR chat experience. Um, this is not. This is a location-based experience hosted at the Art Gallery of Greater Victoria in British Columbia, which will have her performing in the space itself along with mixed reality components throughout the environment. And that exhibit will actually continue until October, I believe, but um, not necessarily always with the live performance component. That experience kind of explores how mycelium and other different aspects of fungi actually communicate with each other, and it integrates actual fungi and mycelium in the production of the sound and audio that Nanotopia is performing alongside. And the audience will be able to interact with various objects and parts of the environment using ink actually also produced from fungi. So very fungi intensive. And if you went to um, Mycelia in VR chat, I expect you'll have an idea of kind of the feel of it, but expect something that is surreal and beautiful and uh, emergent in the performance itself and the music and light and all other aspects of it. Uh, let's see. And then finally, we have Spiderweb shows You Should Have Stayed Home, which is hosted in VR chat and accessible to PC VR and uh, Quest 2. And this is the one that Brian alluded to earlier, which kind of has a... It's an autobiographical retelling of what happened in Toronto at the 2010 G20 summit protest, where a huge portion of the people there were technically lawfully imprisoned, but ended up with a like 15 million class action lawsuit in it being unlawful, where they were essentially 
kept in cages for weeks upon weeks in conditions that don't seem like something that would ever happen in the first world, much less in um, this century. It's a pretty powerful piece where Tommy is just kind of walking you through these various sets, walking you through the day that started off calm with him just going out for ice cream. And there happened to be these protests occurring during the G20 summit and it quickly escalating to become a very hellish experience. Um, I went to it twice and enjoyed it immensely. I thought it was very informative and, and shed light on something that I was not previously aware of, at least not to that depth. Um, highly recommend it. And then aside from that, it's TBA. I'm currently in talks with a handful of different uh, creators who have additional experiences who are interested in participating, but at this time can't commit officially, but expect this to expand as the weeks go by. And yeah, that's, so that's on, the current roster. So on the note of like talking to folks and getting them on board, how, how has this come together? How much of this is now, well, I guess let's start with like what the XR live community is. Cause I'm wondering how much of this is an outgrowth of that. Uh, and and how much of you know this is also maybe expanding that community at the same time? Um, Brian, do you want to uh, talk about the early foundation sure. of where where the community came about? Sure. Well, I would say that not only this exhibition, but everything we do is sort of an outpouring of XR Live. Um, the whole. The reason that Ferryman exists is Brayden and I came from the Unpresents community, uh, which was a live theatrical performance app. Very hard to explain uh, quickly, but a very interesting immersive theatrical experience uh, that we both enjoyed in uh, late 2019 and 2020. And uh, through that, we started to communicate. We are both uh, moderators, administrators of the community. And um, so that we found a mutual interest, not in, not just in that experience, but in the prospects of theater in VR as a whole. Uh, I come out of the, the haunt community. I've been a fan of haunts since I was very young, and I've been in, into VR in, for the entirety of this new wave of VR. I started writing for Horror Buzz in 2015, which you may know is a... Uh, website that covers all sorts of things horror and immersive related. So uh, when I thought when I saw the Under Presents coming out, that was an amazing uh, surprise for me because I saw all of the immersive performers that I knew from that uh, industry in that experience. And uh, so through that, we uh, Braden and I got together and we said, you know, why don't we create an, a conduit of exploring this new medium and promoting this new medium. And at that point, Ferryman Collective wasn't even in a, tw a twinkle in our eye. It was just, we both really liked this thing. And then we sort of both simultaneously stumbled upon VR chat. I don't know if really either of us had much of experience with VR chat prior to that. Um, and then we said, you know, why don't we try to promote and bring this medium forward by doing our own thing? So, uh, so the, the entire reason that we are in uh, the production of immersive theater is sort of come out of a desire to promote and develop this community. Uh, so yeah, so uh, the, um, the community came, came first and we've always 
tried to promote the broadest possible uh, perspective of this community, our, our internal newsletter that we, we send out that is ostensibly to promote our own shows and to tell you about what we're doing. Braden always makes sure that anything that's going on in the uh, immersive uh, VR world, we promote that and we tell you about what's going on with that. And in our Discord server, we have uh, channels for everything that exists in the world of, of uh, theatrical VR. So yeah, it's it's really just an extension of that, of just trying to get the word out. Yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's um in the same way that this exhibit is coming to be, um, to have something that sole focus is on this live performance in XR, despite um, various different events and festivals having their own little arm that happens to feature that as well, mixed in with the other stuff. We found that um, way back then, there just was not a community that we could discover that was solely focused on this format and medium. So yeah, we created it and then got running with Ferryman Collective stuff. Um, but Elsewhile, we were um, bringing in everyone that we could that was interested. The hope was to facilitate different um, people coming together to create things, to celebrate things, to um, share advice and help with one another, and to have uh, a place where they could go and know that they were talking to an audience of people who understood what was going on. Um it seemed like the next logical step to take would was putting this exhibition together. So I began reaching out to all of the different parties that are doing this sort of work, some of which were already actively having runs planned during this time, like uh, Alien Rescue and Non-Player Character, as well as the Three Ferrymen shows which were going, and kind of pitched everyone on the idea of, hey, let's see if we can have as many different runs going within this general time frame at the same time so that we can help each other market each other and we can bring in and co-pollinate and hopefully um, drum up some interest that would not otherwise be there for a single production. So starting with that point of the hundred percent being a watershed and kind of carrying through everyone else in this space, whether it's what you guys have been doing, what uh, Sigma has been doing, or what you know, um, what the onboard XR crew has been doing. How do you think the the development arc here of this art form is going? How far do you think you are from where you started, and do you sort of see, uh, you know, do you have a sense of what the distant mountains, you know, off, you know, far at the edge of the horizon are, or do you, or do you feel like, you know, you're sort of in it so much you, you kind of maybe don't don't know what's gonna happen next because you're just nose to the grindstone. Uh if if I were to put a percentage on it, um, in terms of where we started and we being more than just Brian and myself and Ferryman Collective, but the um industry as it were as a whole, I would say we're twenty five percent of the way of where we wanna be, with the peak being, of course, um general knowledge amongst um the average person the average population um and it's been growing at a steady rate the thing that's interesting with this medium is that despite not a lot of people necessarily knowing about it um as soon as a person goes to one experience 
they are sold for life. And generally speaking, not just as a fan, they want to get involved. They want to learn like, okay, how do I write a script for one of these things? How do I design a set for one of these? Um, where do I go to find um, people to work with? What's the difference between working on these different platforms? Or should I look at like um, developing my own bespoke app? And every single show that we have where we get a new audience member, it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And with that, more productions are then starting to be created. And with those, more audience members and so on and so forth. So um, the growth, I would say, is exponential, even if it is still in the the early days. Um, I see it going nowhere but up so long as no one throws in the towel. But right now, the majority of the people who are creating all of these works and uh, the majority who are featured in the exhibition, um, we're all just passionate about it. Most of us are funding this out of our own pocket. Very few people are getting funding from external sources and instead are doing it simply because they believe in this uh, sort of experience and that it should exist. And rather than waiting around for someone else to do it, um, putting tired to road, I guess, and hitting, hitting the gas pedal all the way. Um, so we're not quite there. I think the real moment we need to hit is, um, I don't know, some sort of coverage on like IGN or one of the other like huge, um, publications that has, you know, millions of hits daily that, um, kind of props it up. But until then, it's just exponential growth through um, word of mouth, through people going to a show for the first time and then telling all of their friends and starting building their own things and so on. Um, but I, my outlook for the future is bright as far as I'm concerned and as far as everything I've seen. Yeah, I think in terms of, of an art form, we are in the incredibly nascent stages. I think at one point, there was an interview with Deirdre where she uh, equated the underpresents as sort of the Citizen Kane of uh, VR theater. And I would say it's more like the Great Train Robbery. Like, we are nowhere in the, the, the ballpark of having explored this medium creatively. I mean, you can look at uh, the, the financials and sort of where we are in terms of finding an audience. I'd say we're still quite early on in that as well. But... I view this as really a completely transformative medium. I mean, you can find analogs in, in digital media and in film and in theater in so many different places, but this is, in a lot of ways, bringing immersive theater to the world, which is not something mm. that very many people at all have gotten to experience. It's something that I truly love that I got into back in 2016 with Delusion but it's not something that most people have the access, have access to. And I think it has the ability to be so much more than that as well, because you don't have to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars and find a venue and go through all of these, these hoops. So I think that opens it up to so many different creators and so many more voices and so many different ways of exploring this. Like very, very few people have the means to create a dark ride. A dark ride is a very expensive uh, proposition that you know you have to find the space and you have to come up with the engineering and it's 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 something that only you can only do if you're universal studios or disney but we're able to do it in vr with hardly any money so I, there's just such a massive amount of unexplored potential and i think that's why it's so exciting to be in this medium it really is the 
uh, the dawn of a completely new form of entertainment and, and art uh, the same way that, that TV and, and film were. Uh, I think in terms of, of our audience, we unfortunately are in a bit of a long VR winter. I mean, you look at the issues that Meta has had with Horizon, and you look at a lot of hardware producers that are pulling out, and the money isn't in VR in a lot in, in a lot of ways that it was previously. I think that we've kind of come come over the the bend of the of the the curve, and and a lot of people are becoming disillusioned. So it, it very much is a experience where we're all it's 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 not a bad experience though because it's an experience where we're all kind of in it together. I think this is sort of the experience that a lot of of struggling artists have in that. No one's making very much money. There's not really much of an audience. But because of that, we're all in it together and we're all looking out for each other. And we're all sort of weathering the storm. And we know that we have something wonderful, but we're just waiting for that audience to find it. So we're just trying to do as much as we can to prop each other up so we can all find success in the future. Yeah, there's something in the current moment where... I mean, on a, on a macro level of the market, right? Like everyone's sort of waiting to see what Apple does. What's the Apple headset going to be? What's the second Apple headset going to be? Because already the analysts are talking like, well, the second one's going to be the cheaper one. And, and, and pretty much also waiting for Apple to anoint this market as being something worth pursuing. Um, and you've had Meta throw billions of dollars into it, but haven't come up with a the fast consumer adoption, which you know always feels to me like the expectations have always been unrealistic. Um, if it was just a if if what you were going to do was just try and recreate what already existed in computing or on phones in VR, the truth is. Computers are very good at being computers. Screens are very good at being screens. Phones are excellent at being phones and a bunch of other stuff. So you need to have a compelling use case. There needs to be something that you can only get in VR. And for me, that has been these live XR performance experiences, that has been social experiences like you can find in VR chat or in alt space, which when you go in by yourself are very lonely and often incredibly alienating experiences because you're supposed to be going through them with other people. It'd be like, it'd be like walking through Disneyland, you know, not just by yourself, i.e. without your friends, but there's still like, you know, a hundred thousand people all around you. It would be like walking around Disneyland with no one whatsoever, uh, which, you know, can be rad if you want to get on a bunch of rides, but at the same time starts to feel again alienating right like there's there's something about being <laughs> lost in an apocalypse that way um and so everyone's sort of waiting with bated breath to see what's going to happen and i as an observer just get frustrated that there are these really compelling artistic experiences being created there are fascinating installations being created and yet the powers that be on the corporate side, they are chasing after, well, what if a better version of Zoom? Or they're chasing after shooters, kids like shooters, right? And and not not kind of getting what makes this stuff sticky and interesting. Uh, and that's been 
that's been frustrating for me to watch. And I, and I got to imagine as creators sort of frustrating for you guys to watch as well. Well, I think that's just the nature of media as a whole, right? I mean, if you look at movies, it's not the the major uh, producers that are coming out with fresh new ideas. They're coming out with, okay, what was successful last year? Let's do that again. So they're, they're saying, you know, what do we have the actual data that says this thing made money and how can we reproduce that? They're not looking to take chances on something that is completely untested, which makes sense if you have to... Uh, you know, you have, you're, you're beholden to your shareholders, but I think that's when small creators like us come in that have the, the mobility to, to take those chances and that don't have to make hundreds of millions of dollars a year to, to justify doing this. We can kind of, of almost lay the path forward and show them, okay, this is something that people find compelling. And it's kind of the cart before the horse situation where we, we can show you that people love this and when you show it to these people that they love this but we can't show you that we can make millions of dollars because we don't have the budgets to get these out in front of people so we kind of do need corporate america in or the corporate world to to come forward to some degree and allow us to have the resources to to get this information out there because we can show you that yeah if you show people this they love it but if we can't show it to people, then obviously we can't make a bunch of money and show you that it's a viable product. Right, right. Yeah, if if we had even, I don't know, 1% of the total audience, the total existing audience that we could have, people who already own headsets, um, this entire industry would be um, entirely sustainable for uh not only the people producing it, but the performers itself and infinitely scalable, like with Ferryman Collective's work, um, something that's been very important to us from the beginning is to make sure that we have redundancy so that we can hypothetically have um, as many different uh, versions of a show going on simultaneously, even if necessary, with different actors. So being that the audience size for any of these usually ranges between one to like 20 in the most extreme scenarios, um, given the ticket price, like if that 1% of existing um, VR headset owners knew about them and were going to them and trying them out, uh, we could all quit our jobs pretty easy. Like it'd be a pretty easy sell, but um, the mind share just isn't there because we're such a niche within a niche. But anyone who who attends for the first time, like I can't even count the number of people at um, different showings who have been brought to tears, who have said like, I've never experienced anything like this in my life. I went through, you know, catharsis. I didn't know this was possible. All of these different platitudes. Um, But until people know about it, it it doesn't do much good. But as Brian mentioned earlier, um, another major part of this is the fact that a lot of what we're doing is adapting things that have, been discovered um, by the immersive theater community around the world throughout the years and bringing that in a heightened form in a different form that's an amalgam of what's possible in the real world and what's only possible in the digital and opening up the gates to anyone on the planet um, which also I think will help our cause in that respect like I myself I've um, been thinking about creating this sort of content 
for 20 years now in, in various degrees, just going back to being part of a, a independent gaming community, independent game development community, rather, in the early 2000s and doing experiments with live NPCs and then going on to the early Oculus dev kits and stuff. Um, and then reading about things similar after the fact that are very similar to what I was thinking about at the time, you know, reading articles about sleep no more and things like that. But I'm located in the middle of nowhere. Um, literally as far as you can be from uh, either coasts, basically in the United States where any of those experiences are just off limits to me. And the majority of the world, like, I mean, if you're not in the LA metropolitan area or New York or Chicago or um, London or a handful of other metropolitan areas, these sorts of experiences outside of VR simply just aren't accessible to you unless you're willing to get a plane ticket and, you know, book a room someplace. So I don't know. There's just so much potential on all fronts that it's something that I can't not be enthusiastic about and something that I can't not stay involved with and continue to push regardless of all else. Well, hopefully what you guys are doing with the, this exhibition is going to, you know, coalesce some of that attention, get more people aware of it who wouldn't otherwise be, and maybe even show to some of the platform holders that by putting a spotlight and by gathering this material up outside of the traditional festival circuit, that there's something there and that maybe some, you know, event structures can be baked into some of these platforms, which I know is also something that you guys are often like hitting up hard against. Um, mm -hmm. For those who want to become part of the XR Live community uh, or who want to check out the exhibition, where should they go? Right now, your best bet is going to xrlive.org, which has uh, information about the experience itself, all of the individual experiences, links to their ticketing pages um, and calendars for each, as well as an aggregate calendar, and then links to our Discord, which is the primary place where our community lives, as well as the various social media accounts associated with it. All right. Braden Roy, Brian Tall, thank you both for coming on the show this week and um, looking forward to checking out some of the work and seeing what else gets announced as the exhibition continues. Thanks, Noah. Thank you so much, Noah. Once again, I want to thank Jose and Ronman for being guests on the show and to the team over at ILM X Lab for thinking of us and hooking us up. Always, always a joy to talk to them and see what they're up to out there on the AAA end of VR. And then on the indie end of VR, thanks so much to Brayden and Brian for coming on the show uh, to talk about XR Live Performance Festival. I I'm kind of psyched that we got to do both of these in this episode because it really does show the breadth of what's possible in virtual reality. And it's funny because I was I was 
sliding on Reddit this week, uh, which I do now that Twitter's like a total trash fire. And I saw this, uh, someone had, had made a comic. Uh, they, I think they'd taken something you know else and repurposed it. It was Reddit, of course. And uh, the first frame was, who wants to release expensive new VR hardware? And like all these people raised their hands. It was like, you know, Valve and Meta and Sony and a bunch of other folks, right? All wanted to. And then it was like, who wants to make software? And only Sony had raised their hand. Um, and uh, it's not quite that, but it really does feel all too often like there's just a dearth of big or truly fascinating VR projects going on. Uh, we know to some degree it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because, you know, corporations want to like get a big user base. And so it's like, we'll sell a bunch of hardware and then we'll start making software to support that hardware. But if there's no software, if there aren't things people want to do with it, it doesn't matter if it's VR, AR, or a game console really is this simple. You don't have the stuff. There's no reason to buy the kit. End of story. The iPhone would not be a success without the app store. End of story. And it's great that we have ILMX Lab out there doing these incredible experiences with the Star Wars IP. And, and, and I have no inside information, but I, I hope maybe we get some other incredible experiences with other elements of, of IP from like Lucasfilm and, and thereabouts, right? There's so much potentiality there. And we know that there's other games being worked on. I believe what Camouflage... You know, they did the Iron Man thing. There's rumors that they're working on another superhero game. There's some other superhero stuff going along. But it really, you know, in a time particularly when alt space, like we talked about last week and a little bit this week, you know, alt space is going away. Uh, you know, the indie scene is kind of buckling down for what feels like a winter, even as everyone's looking towards the horizon of, you know, PlayStation VR 2 just hitting on the 22nd. Uh, everyone's thinking, you know, Apple's going to have their their first headset coming along soon. It's it's it comes down, like I said, to the software, to the experiences, and to have this lovely, you know, really really fascinating live performance scene bubbling around. And and if you haven't done one of these experiences yet, and you do have a headset. You really should check out some of this work. Just be careful because you might find yourself inspired the way Brayden and Brian did. And the next thing you know, you're down a deep, deep rabbit hole. All right, let's get everybody on with their weekend. The associate producer of No Persinium is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. This whole thing is my fault. I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>